Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Expand Your Frame podcast. This is a podcast for coaches and leaders who coach. And I know that many of us, including myself, have had the experience of working with a leader that we find to be abrasive or difficult or challenging to work with. My guess is that many people who have worked with me have probably had that experience as well. They've maybe found me to be a little difficult and challenging to work with. There's no one that I know of who has more experience in this area and more unique insights than Jordan Goldrich. I am so excited to have him be part of our podcast in this episode. So let's welcome Jordan. Have a great day. Hi, Jordan. Welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here, John. Hey, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Over here in the beautiful Finger Lakes area of New York, we're experiencing just a fabulous summer day. And I feel a little guilty saying that with all of the climate issues that are going on around the globe. But how are things out in uh, sunny Southern California? You know, San Diego has been incredible. It's been a little hotter than usual. And then I look at what's going on around the country and around the world, and I, I realize at the, we're blessed here. So it's been wonderful. Yeah. Well, listen, Jordan, what is it that you have been working on or working toward lately? Well, um, the thing that I most enjoy doing is making a positive difference in people's lives. And as I know you know, but maybe the audience doesn't know, um, my executive coaching specialty is working with leaders who are perceived to be abrasive. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been doing executive coaching. I guess I could man I could mention on the side where my wife and I are also preparing to remodel our house. So we're preparing <laughs> to get to get out and move into temporary housing, which is a whole other uh journey. But um in terms of in terms of uh business, uh in terms of professional, um I just love making a positive difference in people's lives and I having come from a loud New York family, um, seems like when I talk to executives who are abrasive, it feels like I'm talking to my family. Ah, you know, I was going to ask you uh, what was kind of the inspiration for getting into this, you know, work with abrasive leaders. And, and I'll, I'll I love the commentary about your uh, loud New York family. I've got a lot. I've got a loud uh, North Carolina family, if you can believe that. But but go ahead. What, what was your inspiration for for this work? Well, I was the chief operations officer of a um, healthcare company here, a specialized healthcare company here in San Diego. And over about an eight-year period, we built it from uh, four employees when I got there to about 65 and somewhere in the neighborhood of an 800% revenue increase and sold it to Blue Cal Cross of California, which then became Wellpoint he Health Networks and then became Anthem. Hmm. And 
about three and a half years into the program, I got a call from my uh, boss uh, to come down to her office. And when I walked in, the uh, vice president of human resources was sitting there. Uh-oh. And uh, given that his office was three and a half hours away and being the bright individual that I am, I knew this is probably not good. And uh, in fact, I got terminated for mismanaging my budget. Now, the week after that happened, I bumped into the woman from the finance department who had been my consultant on my budget in a coffee shop. And she said, uh, Jordan, I owe you an apology. And I said, well, why is that? She said, you know how for the last two months you've been telling me that there's something wrong with the overhead in your budget, and I've been looking at you like I don't have a clue what you're talking about? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, uh, and you know how you asked me for a breakdown of your budget uh, at least twice, and I never gave it to you? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I knew exactly what was wrong with your budget. And our boss told me I'd lose my job if I let you know. So at that moment, I knew that I had been set up. I, I actually had suspected it, to tell you the truth. But I knew for sure I had been set up. And I also knew that I had a great opportunity to feel victimized for the next uh, 10 years or so. <laughs> and I hate feeling victimized. So... I decided to do what I had learned uh, back in my previous life as a therapist and then as a, as a leader um, to focus when things go wrong, focus on what I controlled and learn from it. And I had to admit that I knew that she didn't like the way I spoke to her. I had seen her do stuff like this before. And uh, I wasn't unprofessional. I wasn't profane. But I definitely had my New York tone when I talked to her in meetings, et cetera. And then I had to admit that I had been told by supervisors and mentors in the past, to say nothing of a couple of therapists, that um, I needed to get more diplomatic. And so I decided that this was uh, me being hit over the side of the head that if I didn't want to feel victimized, I needed to learn how to do this. And I, and I made a commitment uh, to treat people respectfully, regardless of what I was thinking. And <clears throat> later on, uh, when I, in my outplacement uh, uh, counseling, um, I learned that the person who was coaching me was, uh, was an executive coach. I, I didn't even know what those were at the time. And I realized that that was what I wanted to be. So um, I, I did start working. I, my first work was with the Center for Creative Leadership, and I've done a lot of that. And they discovered that I was very good with abrasive leaders. And it was in that process that I realized, number one, how much more comfortable I am talking to people who are very direct. Right. Um, then I am talking with people who are very careful what they say to you. And so, you know, that that's really how I, I got off on that, on that journey. Wow. What, what an incredible and, and actually inspirational story. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I, you know, and, and as I heard you kind of sharing that a little bit, it just reminded me of, you know, an experience that 
I had at sort of the latter part of my career with someone I would consider to be an abrasive leader. And, and I'm wondering, it, would it be okay with you if I share that story with you and just ask you for a little bit of advice? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just so in retrospect, everything looks a little different. So I'm kind of putting myself in, in the moment that I was in. Uh, to make a long story short, I had uh, transitioned to the human resources space about 70% into my career, my corporate career. And it was strictly by accident in many ways because they didn't know what to do with my role, uh, but they actually liked me and the value I was creating. So they put me in human resources and I, I found a home there and, and I grew my career in that space. And gradually I made it up to being the chief human resources officer. And it was just a moment that I was extraordinarily proud of. It was the second C-suite role that I had in my career. And along the way, uh, we recruited a new CEO and the CEO wanted my advice about who to put in as the chief operating officer. And I had a pretty clear choice, someone I had worked with in the past who was over in another division. And we didn't always see eye to eye, but we worked well together. We had worked on a major project and I thought, this individual is going to be the person you need. And so sure enough, she contacted this person and ended up hiring them. And that person eventually became my boss through a restructuring, a reordering of how things worked. And so along the way, what I discovered in the moment when I was working with him was that I found him to be demeaning. Uh, micromanaging was really the thing that bothered me the most and just kind of always, 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 um, I guess abrasive. I'm just struggling to find the right word and professional mind you most of the time, but occasionally he would blow up and uh, we were in a committee meeting one time and we were hearing a presentation from a consulting firm and he had some questions and it was pretty clear looking back on it that he got frustrated because no one else had the same questions that he had. And he just kind of went ballistic and says, I don't understand in front of the consultants. I don't understand how no one here has questions, but me, that kind of thing. So, you know, eventually we parted ways and, and that, which is a whole different story, but, you know, in, in the subsequent years, I've often looked back on that experience and, and thought, you know, what could I have learned from that experience and working with that individual, uh, you know, and I often struggle with that. So I'm just curious, just from your point of view, having worked with abrasive leaders and having been one uh, in many ways, what do you think the value is of working with someone like that? Well, interesting. I, I typically, you're absolutely right. Typically we don't discuss the value and uh, but I, I look, is it OK if I ask you a couple of questions? About yeah, him? Uh, please. Do you think this is a person who enjoyed hurting people or is this a person whose self-esteem was attached to how things were going and whether he was being respected and whether things were being successful, who experienced it as an attack when things weren't going the way he wanted them to go? I think it is very much the latter. I just, you know, my sense of this individual is that he wanted to make a 
good impression and he wanted to advance his career and he maybe didn't know a lot about the human resources space and maybe felt a little threatened from time to time. So I, but I, I, I don't think that his intent was mean spirited or he had ill intent in any way. Yeah, that, that is, that's my experience with uh, most people who are perceived as abrasive. And I say perceived because whether or not you're seen as abrasive really is in the eye of the beholder. Um, right. I have a business colleague who's, uh, <laughs> so I, I came from my loud Jewish family and he, he was raised by a Dutch father and a Mexican mother. <laughs> oh my. And, um, you know, for years when we talked to each other, um, you know, we were pretty loud with each other on the phone. And one day my wife said to me, you know, it's amazing whenever I, I hear you talk to him given the language that you're using and the way you're talking to each other, I think that's it. Jordan's quitting. And then somehow, <laughs> but somehow by the end of the conversation, the two of you were thanking each other and <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, you know, we're, we're not fighting. We're just talking to each other. So, um, you know, you and I have a mutual uh, colleague in the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches whose name I won't mention because I'm not sure she'd want it to be mentioned, who is Dutch. And she and I have had a lot of conversations about how, you know, our directness, you know, culturally is is not experienced well by people from other cultures. So I, I think those are the two things is uh, cultural and then um, uh, uh, whether your self-esteem is attached to um, whether or not things are going well. Yeah. You know, I wish that we had had this conversation a decade ago. I probably would, I probably would, it, things might've been different for that last little part of my career. Interesting. Yeah. So let me, let me get to your question that you started this with. Um, uh, we live at a time when everyone talks about psychological safety and the meaning is that people should feel comfortable, accepted, et cetera. And I believe it's a bit of a paradox because that's absolutely uh, critical. If the people who are working with you and for you and around you don't feel like number one, you respect them. And number two, that they have something valuable to add, you're going to have zero engagement and you're going to lose people. On the other hand, we've taken this psychological safety thing to the point where, um, you know, I think we need what I refer to as warriors. And those are people who can drive results. And so um, I think we need both sides. And sometimes people need very direct communication. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it it at least starts the conversation. Yeah, it it most certainly does. I, you know, and I think the key word there that you brought up, at least from my perspective, thinking back again about this experience that I had, was that I am almost certain that due to my actions and how I carried myself and and my attitude, quite frankly, is that he probably did not feel respected. And that may, you know, 
have a lot to do with how our relationship uh, turned sideways a bit uh, once he became my manager. Sure. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the warrior spirit. And I know that the the title of your book is Workplace Warrior. Is was that the inspiration uh, for that title? That kind of that warrior spirit that you're talking about? Yeah, the inspiration. Interesting was uh, about I don't know six or seven years ago. A colleague of mine suggested that I would be a really good fit for an organization called the Honor Foundation which at the time just helped Navy SEALs transition after 10 to 30 years, 40 years in the, in the special operations forces. They also serve now uh, green berets and um, uh, other special operations forces. And I got, I got a look at the uh, Navy SEALs ethos and all of a sudden it hit me that all the conversation about abrasiveness, um, which was, which was, you know, you've got to clean up your act. You got to make people, uh, you can't make people feel disrespected, et cetera, et cetera. That, um, a lot of the executives I spoke to felt like that was politically correct bull. And again, paradoxically, People need to feel respected. And on the other hand, we do live in a time where if you look at somebody the wrong way, they get wounded. And, um, but I looked at the, the Navy SEALs ethos and I abstracted some stuff. I, I, is it okay if I read some of them to you? Absolutely. So the first one is I have an uncommon desire to succeed. Um, I accept responsibility for my chosen way of life. I take charge. I lead my teammates and accomplish the mission. I demand discipline. I expect innovation. I'm never out of the fight. And most of the people who are abrasive executives and other people like that and say that, yeah, that's me. Then, Then we go into another piece of it, which in my experience is not always typical of people who are experienced as abrasive or for that matter, anybody. And that is I have uncompromising integrity. My loyalty is beyond reproach. My character and honor are steadfast. And then we get down to some stuff, which tends to be for the people that I work with. They tend to be more in that upper group, but or they tend to identify more with that upper group. But when we get down to um, this last group of uh, commitments, I expect to lead and be led. Um, I, I humbly serve the ability to control my emotions and my actions, regardless of circumstance, sets me apart. I place the welfare and security of others before my own. Um, I defend those who are unable to defend themselves. And there, there are several others. So I abstracted those from, from the ethos. And it really hit me that in terms of abrasiveness, most of the people out there, there's something like 20% of them who enjoy hurting people. They're sociopaths, but, and most of the people out there, um, are really more like that. And they're imperfect warriors. 
and imperfect human beings, just like all of us. And so what I have found is that um, by framing leadership in terms of warrior as defined by the Navy SEALs, that it's much easier for me to get to um, work with people and communicate, you know, the intrinsic uh, value of changing how how someone communicates and, and working to talk in other languages versus you got to get nicer, you know, which is experience this politi- politically correct bull. Right. You know, that is so fascinating. I wonder if when you talk a little bit about the the paradox that you sense with the, this idea of psychological safety and, you know, how I get how you framed it. You know, some individuals, it feels like you can't look at them the wrong way and they are they're so highly sensitive uh, to things that it makes it challenging and difficult to know what to say or how to say it or how to navigate a conversation. So what is your sense of, of a pathway there with kind of making sure that you create the safety that's necessary for people to be vulnerable and to get results, et cetera. And at the same time, not over indexing in that way. Yeah. By the way, I, is it okay if I, I have some responses to that, but I'm talking too much. Is it okay if I toss that back to you and get your sense of what you do with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, for me, I, I do find myself oftentimes overdoing a little bit of the niceness. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes from uh, in my early in the early part of my career, I was thrust into leadership roles. So outside of the casual jobs you have in high school and at university, you know, I have always been in a managerial and or a leadership role of some sure. sort. I've always been a people leader. And, you know, at the time when I was first becoming a people leader, there weren't all these leadership development programs around. And, you know, I just, we, I just sort of did the best that I could. And I felt like I did a pretty reasonable job for the most part. But along the way, I developed uh, an edge to how I approached and dealt with people. And in many ways, I thought about people truly as resources. You're, it, it's simply a a human being for sure, but there was an edge to that. And it was like, well, you're an expendable part of this organization. And there are a lot of people who'd like to have your job. So get to it. <laughs> or we'll find someone else who, who who will come in and do the job. Right. It's your choice. And so that was how I led uh, in many ways. And so over the years, a lot of things happen and a lot of transitions and life changes. And, you know, so I found myself in a place today where I feel like I'm not as direct as I could be. And I'm also probably not as direct as would help my colleagues and my peers be effective. So I think I do over index a little bit on the sensitive side of things and spend probably a little bit more time than I should, I think, uh, in kind of that empathy space, if you will. Uh, so I'm not sure if that if that's helpful or not, but that's kind of where I find myself today. Well, it is the paradox. I mean, you're addressing one end of the paradox. and. Um, 
Let me mention again, uh, you and I met at the, in the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches, which yes. um, uh, for those of you listening, it's acec-association.org. And um, I want to give it a, a, a um, plug because um, number one, I wouldn't have met you, John. And um, number two, I, I think it's got some of the best coaches in the world in it, and it accurately defines executive coaching as being an enterprise-wide, uh, what is it, business? Enterprise-wide business partner. Yes, as opposed to asking a lot of questions and being very nice. <laughs> and um, it's one of the things that attracted me to it. And... Um, so um, I got off on a tangent on that tangent here, and I forgot I forgot what the question was. Well, so we're, was, we're talking about the paradox between you uh, know, about psychological safety that yeah, it's so, necessary, but people over overdo it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I I agree with it. I I think that if you are going to be successful, you have to separate your self esteem from how people talk to you, and. The higher you get in organizations, the more people um, project their insecurities and their dislikes onto you and act with anger and resentment and passive aggressive and all of that stuff. And a great leader has to be able to handle that and without, you know, without having their um, confidence shaken. Not that it doesn't happen, but. So I, I guess the paradox is if you're not speaking the language of the people you're talking to, if you're, you know, overseeing a company that's um, a nonprofit organization in the South and you're talking like um, like me from New York, you're not going to be successful. People aren't going to hear you. Um, and on the other hand, um, you know, for, for those people to be successful, they have to be, you know, essentially out of their culture. They have to be able to handle it when people are direct and even disrespectful to them and not take it personally. You know, you just threw me a bit of a lifeline there when you casually mentioned um, the South. And, and, and so I was a an executive in the South. And when you mentioned culture a little bit earlier, Right, it, it, with this kind of paradox that some of it comes from the culture that that you come from, I think that 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 there's a lot there. You know, I mean, I came from a eventually from a business culture at the C-suite level that prided itself on being mannerly and being respectful, and you know that sort of the niceness. Uh, of that. And so there's probably some uh, cultural aspects of kind of the leadership that I experienced in that space that flavors some of my attitudes today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing I wanted just to touch base on here for a moment or two is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart, and and that's love. And one of the things that you mentioned a little earlier, and not to throw your words back at you here, but you, you love making a difference in people's lives. Yes. And, you know, I it, that just touched my heart when you said that. And so I'm just really interested in, in hearing you talk a little bit about, you know, how does love expand? 
express itself in, in the work that you do? So, you know, since you mentioned to me as we were preparing for this that I was going to have to talk about love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't That's think I've ever morning. been on a I don't think I've ever been on a podcast. I mean, other than saying I love doing this, I don't think I've ever been on a podcast or in a professional situation where I spoke about the meaning of love to me. And I've been thinking about it a lot. And um let me say that um there's a I took a program that was a Stanford program called Compassion Cultivation. And it the concept of compassion that they used uh, actually comes from Buddhist thinking. Uh, for those of you out there who, you know, I, who don't know about Buddhism, it is not a religion. It's a philosophy and a way and a, and a, and a, uh, set of practices. Um, but, but, uh, it really grabbed me and the way I, uh, have it, I, I've heard a couple of different versions of what that definition is from different people. Uh, but the one that I had was, um, that compassion is a combination of recognizing when other people are in pain or are suffering. And if appropriate, having the intention of doing something to alleviate that suffering. And because I came from my New York family where, you know, you didn't get compassion and understanding unless you deserved it. Uh, there's a chapter in my book called uh, Cultivating Compassion, even when your brain is telling you you don't deserve it. So for me, it's... Uh, it's a combination of recognizing that everyone I'm sp speaking to is a human being and that um, they are all imperfect, just like me. And some of those imperfections trigger me and others don't. And it's my job, if I really want to live up to who I want to be, is to manage my triggers so that I don't get disrespectful. I made a commitment not to be disrespectful anymore. Um, and if appropriate to do something to alleviate that, that uh, suffering or pain. And one of, the, one of the distinctions I make is that I'm not talking about sympathy. I'm not talking about putting your arm around somebody and letting them off the hook. So you, you can fire somebody compassionately you can hold them accountable compassionately, or you can do it in a negative, disrespectful way. And that, for me, I think best speaks to how I how love appears in my life for me personally and also uh, in terms of the work I do. That is really beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing that, Jordan. And I, I want to build on that for just a moment here. I, you know, one of the aspects of what you just shared that I have found that helps me quite a bit, and particularly in the current climate that we're in, where let's face it, I mean, lots of people have lots of radically different ideas than I have, and vice versa, right? So we, I think polarized is a little bit of an overused word, but I think we're living in a, in an era when 
people are not afraid to say what they think and what they believe, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. And so when I encounter people who have a vastly different worldview than I do, and it starts to get me upset, like I know that they probably get upset when they encounter people like me, right? (laughs) What I tell myself is that they're suffering. And that may be seen as patronizing or, or something like that. But, you know, the idea that any time that I want something to be different than it is, that creates a little suffering. You know, maybe not like losing your job suffering, but it can sort of eat away at you. So, you know, it's kind of an extension of the compassion conversation to, to my way of thinking. So sure. I, I just, you know, I found that to be enormously helpful. And you've just reminded me uh, of how powerful that is. It's very powerful, John. And I've always experienced you that way. Oh, oh my goodness. That, that just means so much to me. Thank you uh, for saying that. I hope you've experienced me that way. Cause um, I, I, like I said, I tend to be more direct. <laughs> I, you know, as I have gotten to know you, I, I have I have never experienced you in any other way other than as a as a caring and direct person, and I, I see it unfold anytime we're on a conference call together, uh, et cetera. So that's the way I've always experienced you, and I really have a great deal of admiration for that quality. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate that. Very validating. Yeah, you bet. Well, you know, this feels like a good place for us to wrap up for today. What do you think? Sounds good. Yeah. So in in the show notes uh, for the audience, I'll be uh, putting, you know, how you can contact Jordan and a link to his book, A Workplace Warrior. Anything else that you feel like would be helpful for the audience to know? Well, let me just say that if there are any executives out there who would like to have a complimentary conversation about driving results without damaging relationships. Um, You can contact me at jordan at jordangoldrich.com, and I would love to have that conversation. Great. Thank you so much, Jordan. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you, John. It's been my pleasure and my honor to be here with you. Likewise. Likewise. 